Hello and welcome to episode 16 of In At The Side. I'm Dom Hardman. I'm joined by Scenario Neil and JK. And today we have the guy who does this. New Zealand with possession. Once again, hands on to Lomu. And it could be a try here for Sean Fitzpatrick. And the New Zealand captain goes over for his ninth try. Um, Do people laugh when you say your name Dom Hardman? Um, <laughs> you want to know his nickname, Sean? You know his, his nickname is. <laughs> oh, we're, Neil, we're recording. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's as bad as Alex Payne saying you fuckers. I would have been petrified if I was looking through the program and I thought, Dom Hardman. <laughs> wow, my God. Keep away from him. <laughs> You'll find out why Neil's called Scenario Neil soon enough. <laughs> right, okay, so uh, let's get back on track. Obviously, today we're joined by Rugby Royalty and All Black Legend, Sean Fitzpatrick. How are you today, Sean? I'm very good, thanks, Dom. Good day, Neil, JK. You, uh, good, good, good morning. <laughs> How are you doing? Good morning, yeah. <laughs> so, um, obviously, we're in a bit of a lockdown at the moment. What's keeping you busy during, during your downtime? Um, we're in, in lockdown just outside London. We're at a house just outside London, and we're here with my wife and our oldest daughter, and uh, she's working. And I'm literally I'm a builder by trade. Uh, that's that's what I did when I was an amateur rugby player. And so I have got I've painted the outside of the house. I've just run out of out of paint actually. So if you know anyone that's got a paint and wallpaper stone for masonry paint, I'd like sort of 10 litres of that up so you could organise that, Dom. Um, <laughs> we'll get that so, sorted. Someone who's watching this. Yeah. <laughs> I've, got the, I've got, the garden, got the garden looking as good as it's ever looked. Uh, so, you know, we're just trying to make the best of a, of a terrible situation, really, and, you know, trying to have a bit of a routine. We've been here locked down for five weeks now. So, yeah. you know, we just have a routine and Grace goes to work during the week and we have... Drinkies every night, and we're probably <laughs> drinking it, probably drinking a little bit too much. Um, and then we have a have a sort of a, a dinner party on Saturday night where we all get dressed up, all three of us. Oh, <laughs> very nice. Have you found that, have you found that uh, now you've got more time on your hands? It is a lot more of your wife saying, "Well, you know these jobs you were going to do, you now can." Yeah, yeah, a bit of that. But I'm actually, I actually love it. I, I love the garden and 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 being outside and. Doing all those sort of manual labour, I suppose. I've lost, I've lost about five kilos. I've never been, never been this light. Well, I was probably about sixteen years old when I weighed what I weigh now. <laughs> um, so that's that's good. But as I said, we're just trying to make the best of a of a of a terrible situation. <clears throat> um, trying to connect with people. I'm, I must say that's been one of the things I've really enjoyed <clears throat> is, is is being able to connect with people I didn't really spend much time with early and just going back through all your old messages and, and just ringing people out of the blue. Um, yeah. Well, social media has actually turned got time. positive, hasn't it? I'm sorry, Sean. I was going to say, it's turned into a big positive. It used to be a negative that everyone were on their phones and everyone's on WhatsApp. And, but now everyone's video calling, messaging more than they used to and that sort of thing. So there are positives to come out of it. Um, yeah. Just while you're in lockdown, have you been, um, I just wanted to ask, have you been tempted to do any sort of skills videos? Like, uh, some of the other All Blacks have been doing, like Carlos Spencer and Bowden Barrett. Have you thought of doing those? I watched that Carlos Spencer. That was unbelievable. Unreal. Oh, Absolutely. Brilliant. Sick. Absolutely brilliant. <laughs> yeah. And he's, 
And, I, and believe it or not, I actually played with Carlos. So <laughs> he was a, he was an unbelievable player. I remember as a, we, uh, I played for Auckland and we took the Rampley Shield on tour with us and we went to Horror for Nua. And it must have been 19, 1990 or something. And there was a young young 16-year-old playing for Horror for Nua at number 10. And it was one Carlos Spencer who, who went on to be, you know, as, as we know, a great player and, and, and a great all-black. Yeah. So uh, we'll just talk about your career for a bit. Obviously, a phenomenal career. Uh, eight provincial titles, two Super Rugby, nine Bledisle Cups, two Tri-Nations, a series winning against the British and Irish Lions, and then just a World Cup to top it off. You know, have you got, uh, you know, obviously the, the record for the most uh, consecutive games of uh, international test matches. Obviously, you played a lot of rugby um, and obviously a huge amount of success. Is there any games that are memorable? Not necessarily your favourite ones, but ones that sort of, you, you know, you can think back to. I wrote a, um, a good mate of mine it's called Rick Salizzo, who, who, um, who was our media liaison officer, probably right through most of my career, really. And we did a, we did a sort of a, a chat where we were a bit bored and I sat down and he said, can you remember every test match you played? <laughs> and I went, yeah, I actually can. And he went, no, you can't. And I went through game, game for game, literally something happened in each game that I could, could remember. Um, but we're, we're funny people, Dom, uh, as All Blacks. We sort of, we have a saying, the All Blacks celebrate success, but park it quickly. Remember your losses more than your wins. Yeah. And, and when, I, when I look back and, you know, I look back and the question I was asked when I retired at the press conference, when I announced my retirement was, you know, what, what game do you remember more than any other game? And, and it was a game in 93 that we lost um, against the Lions in Wellington. And it was the worst, worst game I played for the All Blacks. And, and I'd let the jersey down. And, and I can still remember walking off the field and saying to Gavin Hastings, who was the captain of the Lions, I said, I said Gav, you watch this little nation of three and a half, four million people turn on us. Because um, mm. we hadn't, hadn't delivered a performance worthy. Um, so we, we sort of stick with that. We, we're, we're a funny old bunch of game. We don't have reunions of... Of, of our own teams. Uh, we have a, a re reunion every year um, of every All Black um, because it's not, it's not just about one team that creates, creates the All Blacks. It's about, it's about every All Black. Once an All Black, always an All Black. So yeah. unfor unfortunately this year, the, the reunion's been cancelled. Mm. Uh, but it's normally, it's normally after or the night of, or before, sorry, one of the test matches at home. So All Blacks are playing South Africa. Or this year, the All Blacks were playing Wales and Dunedin. Mm. Um, they'd host a, a reunion for the All Blacks. So where the coaches, physios, or All Blacks, or managers, you're all invited. So mm. it's normally sort of two or three hundred All Blacks come together mm. uh, wow. with their wives, with their wives and partners, and 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 with that, it's a it's a really great. So you know, some of my childhood heroes were you know uh, you know when I was a kid growing up watching the All Blacks were there, and then the the new ones come through. Karen Reed will be there this year. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's a it's a special special thing, and and long may that condition. We have, we have a real long tradition, and because we haven't got the money, and that say the northern hemisphere has or Japan, but what we have is is the legacy of the jersey, and we we play on that really really strongly um, yeah. as as past All Blacks. Yeah, it's like a religion over there, rugby. To I mean, I was watching a program on it. I watched countless programs on the All Blacks and and that sort of thing, and. 
almost every lad or, or woman is born with a rugby ball in their hand almost you know it, it's kind of rugby first uh you know everything else second uh which is great i mean that's why you've been one of the most successful teams of all time obviously i just think yeah i just, I, I just don't think it's just just rugby it's uh neil i think it's it's all sport you know mm. we, we go back to new zealand every christmas and and i and i sit on the beach and watch some of these girls and, and boys playing touch rugby or playing with frisbees just anything footballs and the the skill levels are just phenomenal and i and i and i when you look at that um the skill level is so important and and traditionally the the all blacks of late have had their skill sets have been greater than than a lot of the other teams and that's where i think the progression of, of other teams that are, you know the england's of the world that have started to be successful mm. you know whether you're a, you know a, a Cole Sinclair of the world could you imagine and no disrespect to Jason Leonard mm. but could you could you imagine a yeah you know 20 years ago a, a prop running like Cole Sinclair and offloading like he does mm. little deft touches but that's that's the way of the game today mm. okay. obviously um for my my side of things obviously Auckland born and bred 1987 you get you have the chance of the inaugural world cup how was it feeling to be able to run out in that final uh, against France in your hometown at Eden Park? Obviously, that must have been a massive moment in your life. Yeah, JK, it was sort of quite surreal, really, because, you know, 1986, I got an opportunity uh, in the Baby Blacks, which was a, which was a team of, of All Blacks, yeah. uh, because 30 current All Blacks had been suspended for two matches. So literally, there was, I think, 12 of us made our debut against the French in 1986. Yeah. And Brian Lahore, who was one of our great All Blacks and my first All Black coach, gave me an opportunity. because he'd, he'd seen me at under 16 and under 21 level. Um, I couldn't throw the ball on. I was absolutely useless. And, and, <laughs> and I got an opportunity. And with that, um, uh, the, I was a reserve. And the, the hooker got injured. Bruce Samara got injured, injured at training. I got an opportunity, and then in 1987, I got into the All Black squad for the for the World Cup, and Andy Dalton, who yeah. was captain, got injured again, and and I ended up playing all six matches in that World Cup, culminating in that final. Uh, but it was just a, you know, for us, it was just a huge relief that that game was over, because um, New Zealand expected us to win. Every New Zealander expected mm-hmm. us to win. And it was just a relief to get it out of the way. Right, we've won the World Cup, the first ever World Cup, we've won it. And back to work on Monday. You know, I was, I was back on the building side on Monday. Mm. Um, Craig Green, our winger, was standing on the, the corner of his road at 6 a.m. on Monday morning, you know, waiting to get picked up to go roof, roofing, you know. So, and that's... The, brings you back down to the brings you back down to earth very quickly, that sort of thing, doesn't it? And, you know, going from one week in the World Cup final and next week back on the tools. It's uh, yeah. a sobering uh, experience, I imagine. So, yeah, it was, but, but that's, not, that's great. And there's a lot of young, young guys that came out of that team, John Kerwin, Michael Jones. Uh, you know, you, you go right through that whole team, a number of guys that went on. And at 88 and 89, you know, we were so much better than anyone else, just miles ahead of the field. Yeah. Um, obviously, you, you, you've played for many, many years. Um, you were part of two, which were, well, renowned as two of the best front row partnerships uh, ever with Steve McDowell and Richard Lowe, and then secondly with Craig Dowd and Ola Brown. Which yep. partnership did you prefer? 
Which one did you prefer playing with? I had an old mate of mine, actually, that played in the World Cup in 87. It was a guy called John Drake, mm-hmm. who was a, a banker. He worked for HSBC, played in France, and we played at university together. Mm-hmm. And in 1983, I was a, I was a prop, a tight head prop. Right. Um, and literally, he said to me, he said, uh, uh, Graham Henry, who was our coach at the university, said, you, you're, too, you're not big enough to be a prop. Mm. Um, I need to turn you into a hooker. And, mm. and Drakey, who was the tight head at the, at the club at that time, uh, he said, that's a bloody good idea. And, and with that, um, so I was sort of one of the first big, bigger hookers around, Tommy Lawton for Australia, mm-hmm. um, and me. And we were basically a, a front row of Steve McDowell, me and, and Drakey, we were three props, basically. Right. And we sort of learned from the French and the Argentinians how to scrummage. And unfortunately, Drakey died. He played in the World Cup final, but died when he was 50. Um, once again, through not talking, he had a, had a, had a heart issue, didn't talk about it. And, and with that, you know, had, a, had a massive heart attack. Um, and then came Lowy, Richard Lowe, who, <laughs> who's an interesting character. Uh, physically, unbelievable. Technically, not, not as good as Drakey, but, but physically, just phenomenal. And yeah. uh, we had a, had a great partnership. Uh, he, he became a, a great All Black. And then, then along came young Oli Brown, mm-hmm. uh, who was a phenomenal, technically an unbelievable uh, tight head. And, and then Craig Dowd on, on the loose edge. And we had, you know, we had some great success together, yeah. um, which, which makes it easier um, when you've got two good props on either side of you. So I, you know, I was just lucky. Who, who was better? You know, they all had, had different attributes. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. So you um, obviously probably, probably quite a good, probably quite a good question. Sorry to interrupt. That's okay. right. That's right. Would would be who who would be good in today's game? Okay. Well, let me start again. A good question for you. <laughs> who would be good in today's, in today's game? Don, we can edit it. It's fine. <laughs> We're not. In I, th- I think uh, I think I think Steve McDowell at the peak of his game. He wasn't he wasn't overly big. He was about a hundred sort of one hundred and one hundred and two kilos. Yeah, uh, we by today's standards that's quite small. But he he had a, had a really good running game, <clears throat> studied the game really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I think Olo could have been could have been perfect in today's game. He probably needed to do a bit more in terms of his um, running game, but he'd he'd be good too. Yeah, and a follow up question. Sorry, guys, a follow up question on relate to that. Um, if you were to pick your best pack best New Zealand pack of all time. Obviously, you at two, obviously. Uh, who else would you pick? Well, people I played with. Not necessarily. Just of all, all oh, time, best number. Oh, all time. 80s, 80s to present. <laughs> wow. Childhood heroes come into fourth year. Um, I've always said if I had to go to war tomorrow, my number eight would be Zinzan Brook. Yeah. <laughs> without, without, without question, this is... Um, Sheer tenacity and fire. Uh, Michael, J- maybe maybe it should be people I played with. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, Michael Jones at six, mm-hmm. or seven. Sorry, Michael Jones at seven. Yeah. Okay, and then I'm going to give this person a shout because he he. I sent him a note this morning about something. He said, oh, "I hate that, hate that, hate that." I'm not involved. Is a guy called Alan Wetton, AJ right. Wetton. That's six. 
Gary Wheaton and Robin Brook in the locks. Mm-hmm. Second row. Uh, I love Drakey, so Drakey at tight heads. Yep. And Stevie McDowell at loose head. Perfect. Good choice. What a formidable team to come up against. That'd be great, wouldn't it? Yeah. Well, not if you're a losing team. <laughs> but then, you, then, you, then you could throw in a Richie McCaw, you know, there's a few, you know. Yeah. And obviously, you were you were very pacey for a hooker. Um, did you ever look at playing seven? Did you ever, did you ever go into seven, even socially or anything like that? Is that something you turned your, your cap to? Well, sevens, sevens wasn't one of my strengths, really. Mm-hmm. I, I played in the... We had a... Uh, the Auckland team had a sevens... We had a sevens uh, provincial competition. And uh, we had such a good Auckland team that... They, we had an A team and a B team, and I was in the B team. Right. And we were called the car park kids uh, because we, there was no changing room for us, so we got cha- changed in the car park. Um, but no, that's, that was sort of the, my, the heights of my sevens career. I used to play touch every Monday night with, with my, my mates who were painters and builders and photographers yeah. down the Shore Road, <clears throat> and they, they still do that every Monday night. Uh, so that was that's, I, think, life, I right? think that's a great thing, isn't it? Like, that's just a global thing, isn't it? Monday Night Touch is just, yeah. you know, everywhere that plays rugby has a Monday Night Touch session. And I think it's just fantastic on, you know, on top of just the, the structured trainer. Mm-hmm. Just to have a laugh for an yeah. hour or so. I love it. You sort of, you turn, you turn up there at 5.30 down the Shore Road on Monday night. And they'd have all yeah. their kit on, and I'd bring I'd bring a pair of shorts and three socks, and, <laughs> you know, some some international jersey or something, and they'd all put it on. And they, you know, it was New Zealand versus England or New Zealand versus South Africa. It was just like so serious, you know. They were just, <laughs> you know re- reenacting the previous Saturday's Test match. You mentioned yeah. Zinzan Brook, obviously one of my favourite number eights of all time. Um, quick question: Do you still go rowing with him? Go rowing? No. No, there is a reason I'm asking this, and I'll get to that. But um, my my brother met you ten years ago. Um, you were recording an Air New Zealand commercial. Uh, he was in PR. Yeah. I think it was his job to sort of look after you for the day. Um, yeah. And having a chat with you, and you mentioned that you did a lot of rowing with Zinzan Brook. And I just thought I'd ask yeah. him see if you still did. Well, I know we used to live on the Thames. Right. Um, and and with that, um, sorry. Somebody's trying to call me, uh, and we said, "Yeah, I had a, I had a skip on the on the tens, a, a single skull." Mm-hmm. Um, but I can't remember Zinni ever rowing. He's too big. Oh, maybe it was something my brother got wrong then, or but he didn't. <laughs> don't, don't tell him I said that. you went rowing with Zinzo Brooks. That's so fair enough. <laughs> maybe on an erg. Oh yeah. yeah. I'd love to see Zinzo <laughs> try and get into one of those boats. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be. I think we could probably get a charity thing where uh, Zinzan Brook going down the Thames in a rowing boat. Yeah. I think we'd all turn up to see that, wouldn't we? Oh, I definitely will. Let's get, it, let's get it organised, Sean. Let's sort it. Yeah. So, obviously, late 80s was great uh, for New Zealand rugby. Moving into to the nine, uh, early 90s, obviously, picking up some good wins, um, especially against England at Twickenham. I won't mention that in 94. I mentioned 95 either. Yeah. Well, 95, I think, with the World, no, 95 World Cup was a bit of an up and down one for you guys. It was more ups than down, obviously, but the down was at the worst point in time. Obviously, you obliterated every game. Um, obviously, you had the likes of what? Ian Jones, Wilson, Mertens, 
Crook and Donalumu, yep. which probably one of the greatest wingers of all time, in my opinion. Obviously, smashed four tries against England. And then what happened uh, when it came to South Africa in the final? Uh, where do you see it went all a bit different? Well, um, this is sort of the part of the healing process over the last sort of four weeks. I've done a few podcasts. Yeah. And obviously, everyone wants, everyone wants to know about 95. So, it's a, <laughs> it's a bit of my, he- my healing process. There's not many days that go by that I, I don't think about 95. Mm. Um, but I, I suppose if I, if I take you back to sort of, you mentioned 91. Mm-hmm. Um, we went to the World Cup in 91, and I, I still think we had the best players. But unfortunately, we'd started to take our position for granted. And, and with that, we got, got blown away by Australia in the semi-final at, at Lansdowne Road. And, and with that, we, I was 27 years old, won the World Cup, lost the World Cup. And everyone was just a bit tired, really, I think. And, and, we'd, and we had a, a great run, as you said, through the late 80s. No, by 90, we started to wobble a bit. And by 91, this, I, the wheels had literally fallen off. And with that, I walked off the field. And I said to Alan Wetton, AJ, I said, AJ, I'm out of petrol. I said, I'm, I'm going to retire. He said, yeah, so am I. So we, we had to go to Twickenham to watch that uh, England play Australia. Mm-hmm. Played the game on the Friday night against Scotland. We just beat Scotland down in Cardiff. It's the worst game you'd ever want to play in. And then we w- went home, and we went home via Australia, my wife and I. And we stopped in Sydney for a couple of days to let the dust settle because uh, the New Zealand public were up in arms about us losing. And, and with that... Uh, there was a photo on the back page of the Sydney Morning Herald. <clears throat> it was a photo of Phil Kearns, <clears throat> who was the hooker for Australia. And it was him holding the America's Cup in one hand, and he had the Rugby World Cup in the other hand. And it said, the world's best hooker is now the world's best sailor. And I, I looked at my wife, and I said, darling, I'm the best hooker in the world. <laughs> she said, no, you're a fat bugger. <laughs> literally, 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 I just taken my position for granted. And you know, we were yeah. saying in the All Blacks, you need to be arrogant to be successful, with a degree of humility, but leave it on the field. And unfortunately, we'd taken that arrogance off the field and thought we were better than what we were. We'd taken the eye off the ball. In Australia, we were much better, and it was proven in that semi-final. We went home, and my wife and I both said, "We can't finish like this. I can't finish being an All Black." with that sort of defeat. Mm. And with that, we decided I wanted to be an all-black again. So with that, Laurie Maines, the new all-black coach, rang me. And he was from the deep south in Dunedin. He coached Otago had to quite to a lot of success. And then with that, he became the new all-black coach. And he rang me in about March of 92. And he said, Sean, it's Laurie Maines here. He said, um, do you want to be an all-black again? And I said, Laurie... I would love to be an all-black again. And he said, well, you're probably not going to be. Oh. He said, firstly, firstly, you're too fat. Secondly, you're too slow. Thirdly, you're bloody arrogant. And the <laughs> thing that hurt me most of all, the thing that hurt me most of all, he said, you've lost the respect of the all-black jersey. He said, if you can show me you've changed, I might give you an opportunity in the all-black trials in six weeks' time. Did that spur you on that, more, or did that make you... Oh, my God. I, I, luckily, I took, I took it on board. Mm. And some of my mates who were great All Blacks didn't take it on board. They were given the opportunity. Or some weren't even given the opportunity, actually. Mm. And they didn't take it. And with me, I stripped everything back to the bare boards, took everything out of my life except getting back into that All Black team. 
and thankfully for me, I did. Uh, I played in, the, in those days, we used to have a probables team in the trials, and the probables were more than likely going to be the All Blacks. And then they had the possibles. Probables wore black, possibles wore white. And I was the captain of the possible team. Right. Mike Brewer was the captain of the probables. He was Laurie's heir in waiting. He blew his calf muscle during the trial. As he walked past me, he said, Fitzy, I'm gone. I'm out. And I thought, Jesus, if you're out, there's no one else that could be captain except me if I get in the team. And then with that, um, that was, I became captain. Um, and it was almost a changing of the guard, guys, in terms of the way All Blacks were selected. Mm. Uh, because yeah. the, the best, best players in the trials became All Blacks. And with that, Laurie said, no. He said, I want to pick good people. And one of our sayings now is good people make great All Blacks. So some of the guys he were pick, was picking, I was thinking, what are they doing? They're not good enough to be All Blacks, but they were the right people. And he said, we're going to be the fittest and fastest team in the world because in four years' time, we're playing in a World Cup in South Africa, hard, fast grounds. We need to be fast, quick, play a high-tempo game. And that was literally the start of that before the lead-up to the World Cup. And with that, we had the hardest trainings I'd ever been involved in pre that World Cup, went to camp, fit as we've ever been. Reason being, we wanted to play this high tempo game, quit rucks, mm-hmm. then get the ball wide to our nippy wingers, who mm-hmm. was Eric Rush and Jeff Wilson. Mm-hmm. Jonah Lomu, he didn't survive the fitness training. We didn't know he had a kidney disorder. Mm-hmm. And with that, he couldn't load any fitness. So for Laurie, that was just not good enough. So he went and played sevens, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. And, and, and with that, he was just about to get on the, the plane to go to Japan or Hong Kong to play sevens with New Zealand sevens team. And Eric Rush pulled a hamstring at our final run. He was pulled off the plane, literally, brought into the All Blacks. We played this high, expansive, pacey game with lots of, lots of space. Uh, there were defensive systems in those days didn't know what had struck them when all of a sudden our fast nippy winger turned into a fast 19 and a half, six foot, six <laughs> foot, five and a half. Size, 36 yeah. size. And could, could, could run 100 metres in 10 and a half seconds in bare feet. Um, and just set, set that World Cup on fire. Yeah. And I always say to this day, and he's such a, such a loss to New Zealand rugby, to the world rugby. Oh, um, he, is the only, he is the only global superstar we'll ever, ever have in rugby. Mm. Um, and he did that in the space of about seven games over two or three years. Mm. Um, but what we did in those pool games, we played all the home nations and um, we just played that style of game. We weren't big. We had Ian Jones who ringing wet. He was about 100 kilos. Yeah, most <laughs> of us, we, we didn't have any big guys, but we were fast mm. and we were hugely accurate at what we did. Mm. And and Diana just was at the right place, right time. Josh Crumfield was at the right place, right time. I was at the right place, right time. And we had a brilliant game against England. Um, and that sort of stemmed back, guys, to, to 93 when we lost at Twickenham. Yeah. And I can remember driving out of the West Car Park after we'd lost 15-9, I think it was. And they were doing you know, what they do so well when they win, giving us a bloody hard time. And, and with that, I said to Olo Brown, I said, Brownie, have a look at that. I said, make sure this never, ever happens again. Mm-hmm. And with that, a whole catch fry going till the next time we played England was at the World Cup at Newlands. 
And all we spoke about was remember 93, remember 93. And I can remember Laurie saying to me on the Friday, we had a sort of a walk around Newlands uh, team, team run. And Laurie came up to me and went, that's it. He said, these guys aren't right. I said, Laurie, this is the best prepared All Black team I've ever been involved in. I said, we will win tomorrow. And, and we did. Did we play our final uh, a week early? I, d I don't think so, guys. Yeah. I don't. I, oh, I, we arrived at that World Cup, and and I I wanted to play South Africa in the final because um, they're for us, and no disrespect to all the other nations, but they're our traditional foe. Yeah. Um, we have huge respect for them, and to play them in a World Cup final at Alice Park um, was a dream come true. And unfortunately, it didn't turn out that way. Uh, I would have done things differently. I probably wouldn't have stayed in Joburg. I would have moved out of Joburg, uh, you know, the, the food poisoning was, was something that maybe we could have had control over rather than, you know, having, you know, the guys now, they have their own chefs. Um, but that was just something, unfortunately, it happened and, you know, 16 of the 21 guys couldn't get out of bed on Friday morning after lunch on Thursday. Um, but by Saturday, um, I think nearly everyone was okay, except Jeff Wilson was still a bit crook. Um, but just that power of that game, and I, you know, obviously the stuff we do at Laureus now, having Mandela as our founding patron. Um, and I look back now and I look to Yokohama, what happened, you know, in the September, November last year, just the, the power in terms of what Mandela did that day mm. by, by walking into that stadium wearing Francois' jersey and the yeah. power that, that filled the stadium with was just electrifying. You know, that first kickoff, I've never experienced an intensity like that first kickoff. And, and that just had Mandela written all over it. You know, and then to, to drive home that night after, after losing and to see a, a black man, a white man and a coloured man dancing, dancing down the street as one celebrating the success of a nation. Yeah. This, this is so powerful. And that's through what Mandela said. He said, you know, sport has the power to change the world. And that was, there was no better example of that. And then what Khaleesi did in, in Tokyo, yeah. uh, just uniting a nation, you know, mm. sport unites us. It's almost like echoing through, through, through the years, isn't it? Almost, you know, I know he, he didn't have the same, same sort of deal as uh, Nelson Mandela, but, but it did, it did ring true of that in the sense of he was uniting a nation again. And, and the fact of where he would come from and what he'd, what he'd done is, is brilliant. Um, I, was talking to, I was talking to Francois about it, actually. Mm-hmm. And he, he was in Tokyo with us, and, and he said, Fitzy, he said, this, this is bigger than us winning in 95. Wow. He said, you, wow. you, wait, you wait to see these guys when they go home. And, and the pictures that came out of South Africa when they did that tour mm -hmm. with the trophy into the townships, and to see Khaleesi there is such an inspiration for, for every kid in South Africa mm. now believes that he could be the next Fia Khaleesi. Yeah. You know? which is hugely powerful. And there's a silver lining. Obviously, I know obviously New Zealand lost that game, but the silver lining is what happened afterwards was, was a lot bigger than rugby. It, mm. was, it was more important than rugby. And, and I think even yourselves as All Blacks who would have lost that World Cup final can obviously go back and say, you know what? They had a lot riding on this, not just as a rugby team, but as a nation. And mm. they thoroughly deserved it. And yeah, you lost. You regrouped because you went and spanked them in the uh, three series the year afterwards, and obviously the Tri Nations. But that one game is the reason for the way rugby is now in in the Southern Hemisphere. I think. Yeah, I think so, and that's you know, 
philosophical way of looking at it, I suppose. Once again, it's that healing proof. I still believe it or not, JK, I, I still have not watched the World Cup final of 95. Really? I have not, I have not watched that bloody movie, whatever that's called. So the Invictus. <laughs> Invictus. <laughs> <laughs> um, they get Matt, Francois gets Matt Damon. And I get some guy that I'm some guy I've never heard of. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, talking about your time as captain of, of the All Blacks, Sean. Um, which player was hardest hardest to control? Which players did you have always have issues with uh, trying to toe the line on the pitch, or was, it, or was there not one? Was it was it plain sailing? Yeah, sort of. I, I don't. I don't. You know. You'd, you'd always be. You know, conscious in terms of giving away penalties, penalties and that sort of thing. So, you know, Richard Lowe was always high maintenance in terms of, you know, <laughs> making sure he didn't give away too many penalties. But no, I'd, you know, people say, you know, you were a great captain. Martin Johnson was a great captain. Francois was a great captain. But to be honest, it's the people around you. And that's, mm. you know, and that's, that's why people are so important. You know, you talk about today, the one, one thing about, about the, the virus, corona at the moment, the one thing that's going to save us is people. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and that's and that's in a, in a sports team or a business, you need you need people that yeah. that are happy making decisions, um, happy taking responsibility. Um, but I, overall, everything else are, are the right sort of people. Mm. And I, and I know you guys, you're you're all younger than me, but as you get older, you have less friends. Mm. Uh, because you want to surround yourself with good people, yeah. uh, and 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 good people are, are just so important. And we're seeing that this, the stories that are coming out day after day with what's going on around the world at the moment is just just phenomenal. <laughs> phenomenal. When you look at the guy, uh, Sir Tom, not Sir Tom, well, it may be Sir Tom. Yeah. All that money for the NHS, absolute fantastic effort. You know, and and you look at him in contrast to some of the celebrities sat in their massive million pound mansions crying because they're in lockdown, you know, and he's just sort of yeah. taking it as it Fantastic. is, making a good thing of it and fair play to him. And, you know, thank yeah. you for NHS as well, obviously. Um, so, uh, sorry, go on, Neil. No, it's all right. Uh, I was going to say, look uh, you got a list. Yeah. Looking forward to the um, 2023 World Cup. Um is there anyone that you think we should be looking out for? Any any prospect that you think is going to shine at this World Cup? Maybe through the New Zealand team or, or in any other team? Is there anyone you think we should look out for and is really going to flourish at this next World Cup? Um, I don't know. Golly, there's you know, there's, I thought I thought the Six Nations this year was uh, really good. I, thought, I liked I liked France and a number of young kids came from yeah. that. Mm. Um, you know, even even Scotland. I, I thought young Adam Hastings was a you know yeah. a, a bright light and. And the, and the kids yep. today, uh, they seem to be younger. Mm. You know, they're, they're starting to do what the All Blacks do. The All Blacks, if they're good enough, they get thrown in there. Yeah. Um, which, I, which I think is a good thing. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's what happened to us. And you get found out if, you, if you're good enough. If you're not good enough, you, you go away and get better. So I, I think 2023 is... I, I thought 2019 was the best World Cup I'd ever been to. Yeah. On and off the field. And just through the calibre of rugby, um, the coaches, I thought the coaches had a real influence mm -hmm. on the style of, of rugby that was played, the game plan. You know, you look at, you look at New Zealand, Ireland, I, I think, uh, I thought Hanson uh, outdid out Smith in terms of the game plan, totally took them out of the game. You mm -hmm. know, six days later, 
Eddie Jones does a job on, on Hanson uh, yeah. in terms of the game plan. And then, and then six days later, Erasmus does a, a job on Eddie, yeah. uh, which for me as a, as a rugby fan, I just thought that was brilliant. I sat with my South African mates the week before at the semi-final. Welsh game, yeah. Uh, oh, and it might have been the quarter-final, actually, when uh, Faf de Klerk was just kicking, kicking, uh, kicking, yeah. kicking the ball against, and, and against Japan, that was. And and with that, all they said ever get that faster clerk out of here. He's useless <laughs> kicking the ball. But then all of a sudden, that final, we, you know, I sat there in the semi-final against the All Blacks, uh, England against the All Blacks. I'm going, where did that come from? Mm. I've never ever seen England play like this. Mm. Where did that come from? And then and then I'm looking at faster clerk against against England six days later, going, where did that come from? They can't yeah. they can't play like this. Um. But yeah, so that's really interesting. I'm sure 2023 will be the same mm. because teams are getting fitter, faster, uh, mentally they're, they're better. Um, I think they're, they've been trained, their skills are better. You know, you look at some of those, those you know, the, the Curries of the world and the English loose forwards, their mm. skill sets, uh, the second rows, the, the props we've spoken about, um, you know, and then your 9, 10, 12 um, are, so, are so important. What about the likes of, of play? I mean, I'm a Gloucester fan. You're going to realise I'm very biased in a moment. What about the likes of Danny Cipriani getting overlooked? I mean, he won Player of the Year last year in the English Premiership, and he didn't even get on the bench for any of the seasons. He ever gets a look in for England. Now, I know he had a lot of extracurricular problems in the past, with you know, getting in trouble. Oh, yeah. thing. Do you think that's being held against him? Do you think he'll ever get the chance to put on an England shirt? Or do you think that's, that's gone now for him? I, well, to be honest, I think it's probably gone now. Um, yeah. And, and what you've got to realise, Neil, is unless you're on the inside of these environments, yeah. Um, what the team dynamic is, what their protocols are, you know, and and that's just the way it is. And and un- unfortunately, Danny, who I who I I love watching play, I you know I'm involved with Harlequins, and you know he's undone Harlequins a number of times. Yeah. Um, and but unfortunately, at the next level. Um, Eddie just doesn't see them, him the right man for the job. Yeah, it's not just and, it's an, not, and unfortunately you got George Ford and you got Farrell there also. Yeah, yes. yeah. And for me, it's not just the ten and his dynamic and how he works. It's obviously the cohesion between scrum half ten and twelve. It's then three. If the man in the middle isn't working in tandem with those two, it just doesn't work. Obviously, you, you see Ford, Farrell, and Youngs. Those three together absolutely tear teams apart. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, it's not just Cipriani. He's a fantastic, phenomenal player. You put him on second half, 60 minutes onwards, and he'll end up doing something that no one else can do. However, if you're mm. for times like World Cups where you are going to need a 10 who potentially is going to be playing all game, you need that 9, 10, 12 kind of combination to work. And it's got to be the cohesion between the three. And I think, you know, the difference, the difference from club rugby, premiership rugby to test rugby, it's a, it's a pretty big step up. Yeah. Especially, at, especially at Gloucester. Whoa, that's hard. <laughs> Coming from a Bath fan. Yeah, no, I just get that in there. <laughs> so, Sean, just coming back to obviously you um, don't want to surf back too much, but you mentioned obviously getting ridiculed by the New Zealand public. Where did that put the boys mentally? Obviously, because you know mental health is sort of coming into it for now being okay to open up about it. Was that very much the same back in the day or 
Was it just not spoken about? Or? I think, no, it was, we, um, New Zealand has matured quite a bit since then. <laughs> I don't know if you saw the uh, New Zealand Herald on the, the Sunday after we lost to England no, uh, <laughs> in the World Cup in 29. The, whole, the front page of our national newspaper was black, just black. <laughs> and, then, and then in the middle, there's a little, little white square and had England, whatever the score was, England 12, nine, All Blacks 9. If you want to read anything more about this game, go to the sports section. <laughs> Brilliant. So I think, but I, yeah, in our day, we didn't, we didn't talk about it. Um, mm. One of our great wingers, a guy called John Kerwin, who's, who's done a lot with mental health, um, had an anxiety issue and, and tried to speak about it. Um, I told him to harden up. And, and with that, he wrote a book called Harden Up, and all blacks don't. He's written two. All blacks don't cry. Did you get and, royalties and, from the Harden Up one? Your <laughs> idea. You should get after fee, surely. But, but in those days, we we didn't know what mental health was. We didn't even speak yeah. about it. Where now, this is yeah. you know the, the stuff that John Kerwin has done in New Zealand. He got he got a knighthood for it mm. in terms of the work he's done with mental health. Um, he's been phenomenal. And, and getting people talking about it. You know, young men, is just, the suicide rate is just out of control. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we need to, to encourage people. And, and the All Blacks, you know, they, they're the first ones to stick their hands up and, and be available and, and to talk about it too. And mm-hmm. New Zealand public, you know, I think it's, you know, we're, as I said, we've matured now and, you know, we, you know we're not, we don't like losing. Uh, we still expect the All Blacks to win every game, but it's, it's not the end of the world. With respect to that and, and mental health, um, a quick question. Do you think that players um, have a tougher time nowadays, you know, with all the social media and everything like that, as opposed to when you were playing? I mean, nowadays, there's no escape from... If you've had a bad game, you've got people like Dom, you know, DMing you, going, oh, that was awful, you did this, you did that. I mean, do, do you think they've got to deal with a lot more nowadays? Is that, is that harder for them? Yeah, I think so. But you know, you can surround yourself with with good people, and you you know you can create um, you know almost a bubble you can work in. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're going to put your name out there, mm. um, you, you know you've got to understand that it's going to come back at you sometimes. Mm-hmm. And and I was always you know I was always one who you know I, li- I listened to my brother. He was a really good critic. My father was a, a really good critic and critiquing my game. Um, so they were the ones that mattered. You know, the Laurie Maines, the John Hart, the Alex Wileys, the Brian Lahores. Those people were, you know, some coaches pressed your buttons. Some, some coaches didn't press your buttons. Mm. Um, and, you know, it was, a, it, was a, it was probably a harder environment nowadays in terms of, you know, you, you were just thrown out of teams. I, when I couldn't throw the ball in, I can remember Andy Hayden, you know, he, he gave me three opportunities, uh, three bad throws, and he sent me away. He said, go over there. See that other hooker over there? He's playing on Saturday. And I was like, really? He said, yeah, you're not good enough. Get out of here. <laughs> so literally, I had, to go away and, I had to go away and learn how to throw the ball in. And uh, for a year, I, I practiced with who I thought was the best line-out thrower in New Zealand. I practiced with him every Monday night. And then in November that year, Andy Hayden turned up. He said, I Shawnee. He said, I hear you've been doing a bit of bloody practice. I'm happy to help you now. <laughs> you know, which which was it was a tough it was tough love, but it you know, turned turned oh. into a much better throw, which ultimately got back into the all blacks. 
Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you what, I think my, my biggest critic and the one that's the best coach for me is actually my wife. <laughs> I can tell you, I can tell you the amount of times I've been sat on, she's been sat on the sideline. She's obviously the, a rugby widow in, in every sense of the word, freezing cold. And she'll just sit there going, Jay, why the hell are you doing that? Run effing straight. Otherwise, I mean, everyone does that watching you. <laughs> everyone says that watching you play, mate. It's not <laughs> In terms of, in terms of like, games. <laughs> we, like even with kids today, I always say to them, and, and, and this is it's not tough love, but I say to them, be the best you can be. And mm. that's, you know, as all blacks or professional rugby players, just be the best you can be. Yeah. And, 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 and the kids today sometimes um, take the easy route out. You know, maybe it gets a bit tough. Mm. Yeah, to, to be and that's what we and once again to, to be the best you can be and that if you want to be the best rugby player the best businessman best netball player singer whatever preparation is such a key ingredient the best prepared people in the world win mm. but unfortunately with that degree of preparation comes sacrifice yeah. and and a lot of people aren't prepared to make that sacrifice which mm. you know unless you have that you know somebody else is going to take your job yeah Going back to your, your time when you first started playing for the All Blacks, I'm sure there was an initiation. Uh, what, what did you have to do to, to earn your right of passage to get into the team? I don't... You know, you, you, in our day, you sort of... You know, you're just, you're just in awe. You know, every man and boy dreams of being an All Black. And then to actually to be there, and I can still remember walking into Brian Lahore's bedroom on the day of my first test and it was in Christchurch, you know, and, and there was 21 all black jerseys lying on the bed. And, and I was like, wow, but you couldn't get, you couldn't get a jersey unless you're an all black in those days. There's no replica jerseys. Oh, okay. so, so with that, BJ, he, he came in and he, he said, uh, Sean, here's your first all black jersey. Right. Wow. I was like, my God. He said, uh, first time you pull on this jersey, make a mental note of that feeling. And every other time mm. you pull it on, recall that feeling, the excitement you get. And it's, it's so true. And then, and then, you know, walking out the door and, and he turned around, oh, Fitzy, he said, there's one other thing. You are expected to win. Have you still got that jersey? My first, the first jersey, yeah, it's a special one. And then I, and I, can, I can remember driving to the game and uh, and with that, you know, the youngest sits at the front of the bus, and the older guys down to the back. And and and, and with that, in the back back seat of the bus uh, was one of the old All Blacks that I sort of revered as a young kid. And as we approached the ground, they were, you know, mum and dad, faces painted, scarves on, beanies on, going to watch the All Blacks play France. And with that, from the back of the bus, he bellowed, "Have a look out the window!" <laughs> Had a look out the window, and and he said, looking at all these men and boys, he said, every man and boy would change places with you tomorrow. So don't let them down. <laughs> in other words, you know, we are, so, we are so lucky to be sitting on this bus uh, to be given yeah. the opportunity to wear the All Black jersey. So so make make the most of it. Perfect. So in terms of initiations, no, you know, I've been, you know, I, I roomed with a guy called Mark Shaw who was like this grisly old flanker. Uh, he was 36 years old. I was 22, 23, you know, and I can still remember, you know, going to training the first day, came back to our bedroom 
and you know he'd he'd asked me to put some beers in the bath before we went to training, put the mice on top of them. You know we came back and all these young kids that had failed the IQ test down the back of the bus. You know we were brought back to our bedroom along with three or four of the old ones, and I don't think we even had a beer, but we were just told in no uncertain terms what was expected of us as new All Blacks. You know don't be good, be great. In other words, don't be satisfied just to be here, be a great All Black. Once an All Black, always an All Black. You know prepare as if you're number two. Never think you're good enough. And all these, all these little things, you know, yeah. humility and, you know, and you look at people say to me, you know, that all black way is unbelievable. Mm. The way they prepare, the way they hold themselves, you know, sweeping the sheds, you know, leaving the place how you found it because why should somebody else clean up the mess? Mm. And I say to people, that's, that's, just, that's just a given. Mm-hmm. It's not an all black way. That's just what good people do. Honesty, respect, humility, yeah. you know, please, thank you, cleaning up after you. That's just a that's a given. Of... Well, the four things of rugby, really. What you should what you should do: honesty, respect. You know, it, it's that's ties in with rugby, doesn't it? You know, it's uh... yeah. That's all. You know, you talk about mental health. It's it's all those things about you know, mental health is about respect and mm-hmm. openness, humility, yeah. um, which all, which unfortunately the the flip side are all the negatives that that close people up. You know, aggressive yeah. attitudes, uh, not being open, uh, you know, challenging people the wrong way. Uh, I think one of the hardest things with mental health is is that if you break a leg, you break an arm, you've got a cast on. People can see you've broken your leg or you've broken your arm and everyone asks about it, right? Yeah. got an issue in your head, you never tell anyone. There's no actual signs that you've got issues in your head and you wouldn't na- naturally want to go and speak to someone about it if you're feeling that. I mean... I've suffered in the past. A lot of our players that play for Dodger Sevens have. I know that obviously you're associated with Loris. It's, it's obviously you know doing great things for mental health as well as we are with mastering men's minds. But it's about um, yeah not being able to recognise that. But I love the fact that that a lot of teams, a lot of nations, and, and everyone around the world is starting to wake up to it a bit more now and and start to ask the harder questions. You know, and, and, and... but I think so. Um, also, Neil, is that we're a lot more. Um, giving in terms of, you know, when people are aggressive towards you or they're offhand towards you, quite often, you know, my wife and I will go, hey, yep, that's fine. We don't know what is going on in their life. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think people are much better at that now. Yeah. Rather than, yeah, God, just rather than getting into them straight away, you Mm -hmm. say, okay, yep, sure. You know, because you don't know what's going on in people's heads. As you say, you can't see it. Um, so give people the you know the benefit of the doubt, and and I think that was once again with this virus thing, a lot more of that will happen now, of of people giving people the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, just touching on that, do you want to just talk about what you do with Laureus and just you know explain to everyone in May, um, sure. You know, what, um, what the sort of activity you do? Okay, so we were we were set up twenty years ago. Uh, we just had our twentieth awards, and that's. Initially, we're set up to uh, celebrate excellence in sport, as much as what we, we still do. And uh, our founder, Johan Rupert from South Africa, handpicked 35 founder members, former greats of their sports, uh, legends in our own minds. And, <laughs> and with that, uh, he wanted past sports people to pick today's sports greats. So sportsman, sportswoman, sports team, comeback of the year, sport with a disability, breakthrough of the year, uh, and an action sport. So seven categories. 
and uh, the academy voted on who they thought was the best in, the, in a calendar year. Uh, we met in Monaco. Uh, I was like a kid in a candy shop, sitting with all these, these <laughs> great sports people. That's literally the, the cream of, of, of my generation. And, and with that, uh, Johan said, and your founding patron will be Nelson Mandela. We went, oh yeah, very good, thank you very much. That's, that's really cool, thanks a lot. And with that, the door opened and in, in walked Nelson Mandela. Oh, wow. And he's the greatest, man, the greatest man I've ever met. And, and with us, he gave us those words we spoke about earlier that I entrust you to go out and use sport as a mechanism for change. Mm. Um, sport is a language that the youth of today understand, breaking down discrimination, you know, social violence, all that sort of thing. And, and with that, he said, sport has the power to change the world. Mm. Uh, so we live by that. There's now 69 of us. Uh, we've raised about 120 million euros in 20 years. Uh, we have a Sport for Good Foundation uh, that is brilliantly run. And we support projects around the world that use sport as a mechanism for change. So all of our projects that we invest in um, use sport as a, a way of change. And uh, we, uh, we're in about 200 projects globally in 45 different countries around the world. Wow. Uh, we have foundations in South Africa, Argentina, Italy, Spain, uh, Germany, and, and obviously here in London. Mm. Uh, but it's just, just phenomenal. I, I've got some, some great stories. I went to Sierra Leone in 2005 uh, with Tony Hawk, the skateboarder. Yeah. And, uh, you, know, I, you know, flying into Freetown, I'd never experienced anything like it. Uh, the Civil War had just finished. Uh, where they were using children as child combatants. Mm. And, and a project there was called The Right to Play and just saying to children, your children, you've got the right to play. And, and it just, it just tore our hearts to bits to seeing these children, the ones that didn't go with the rebels, had, had one of their hands cut off. Um, so you had brothers and sisters fighting against each other during the Civil War. And, and with, we went to, went to the, one of the projects and to see the joy um, that a rugby ball, I had a rugby ball, they'd never seen a rugby ball before, they didn't know who I was, and then Tony Hawk had a skateboard. Mm. And the joy that we brought to them just for that amount of time, to see these kids standing between Tony's legs on the skateboard, the smile that was brought to their face, and then to see mm. them, they did a haka. Uh, mm. Wow. See, oh, just, just amazing. So, you know, sport is so hugely powerful. Mm. Um, and and we're making a difference, so you know it's it's really really pleasing. Yeah, and, and obviously time with that, I managed to get a, a similar experience. Um, so back in February, I was out in Bangkok in Thailand. Uh, okay, yeah, right. Yeah, went to a specialist school for autism and Down syndrome. Now these kids not only were had never seen a rugby ball, they weren't in mainstream school. The, this was a temple run special needs school. They were wondering what the hell who we were. Just a load of big rugby lads bundling into a room. Into, into their school hall. Yeah. Because they got a rugby ball in their hands, faces light up. They were obviously, they would not leave us alone, which was great. Obviously, I'm not saying that was a bad thing. Obviously, we want to play and obviously getting a chance to just throw a ball around in the faces. It was, it was absolutely amazing uh, and definitely something that I, I, I take away. Uh, it was a team called Jigsaw's Rugby who were big on autism. Okay. So, Is a, um, with you guys being involved in sevens, you know, I go to the Hong Kong sevens most years. Well, we were at Bangkok tens. Oh, okay. So, so Robbie McRobbie, do you know Robbie McRobbie? 
He, he runs he runs Hong Kong rugby. Uh, okay. Paul Fleisman. He came to us in 2001 with a project called uh, Operation Breakthrough, which is a rugby project in, in Hong Kong. Uh, in those days, the, the naughty little kids in Hong Kong would go before the judge, and they'd get sent to a you know a ch- children's institution, a prison, or whatever. Um, Operation Breakthrough came through, and they said, right, why don't we do a thing with Hong Kong police and Hong Kong rugby? These naughty kids, give them a choice. Mm-hmm. They can either go to the, the prison or they can come down to the rugby club twice a week. Mm-hmm. And if they don't come, they get sent back. So with that, Operation Breakthrough started. So all these kids would turn up. They'd turn up, they'd get a jersey, they'd get food, but they'd be taught mm-hmm. what it was about being a good kid and humility, respect, all those things instilled in them. Uh, still going now, it's phenomenal success. I think they've had their first policeman has come out of, of the project. Uh, they've wow. turned into co- coaches. Just just brilliant, brilliant stuff in terms of changing changing the way kids are. Yeah. You mentioned the, oh, amazing. the hacker. Uh, I had a question on that. Now, obviously in your era, um, the rugby, the hacker that I remember so fondly, Started with Kamate Kamate, you know, it's what I see as the traditional, traditional hacker. Why did they change it, and which one do you prefer? Um, well, the, the hacker, the, when I grew up, the only, the only people that did the hacker were the Maoris and the All Blacks. Right. So my father was an All Black uh, in the 50s, and, you know, when he ran onto the field, they'd do the hacker. It was almost like a, a bit of a dance. Mm-hmm. And then they would they would do it to the crowd. They'd do it to they'd run across to one grandstand, come back to the other grandstand. Yeah. Um, and then it's then it's evolved. 1987, uh, the All Blacks only ever did the Harker when they were on tour. They never did it in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. 1987 Rugby World Cup, All Blacks are touring New Zealand for the first time. So with that, Buck Shelford said, "Do you think we should do the Harker in New Zealand?" And with that, we said, "Yeah, cool, good idea." And with that, he said, okay, if we're going to do the haka, we have to do it properly. So with that, you know, that was the kamati haka, which we, we do. Um, we did that a bit better than what we had been doing. And then with that, uh, the All Blacks of Tana Umanga, uh, when he became the All Black captain, and I'm thinking 2004, he became captain. Uh, he's, he was the first Samoan to captain the All Blacks. And with that, he said, uh, I want to hark that it's about all New Zealanders, not just our indigenous people. Yeah. Yeah. So with that was the, the advent of, of this new harker. And with that, it was about Englishmen, it was about Fijians, about Tongans, Samoans, Scots, anyone yeah. as, as one. Um, so they now have two harkers, um, and they decide themselves which one they're going to use. Uh, I actually like the new one. I think they've, they've put a huge amount of time and effort into it. Mm. Um, that harker there was developed by, I think it was Richie's team, or Tana's team, and a Maori elder. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you'll never see that one used commercially. Uh, the only harker that's used commercially is the Kamati harker. Yeah. Uh, but the harker is a challenge. The mm. harker is saying, I want, to, I want to challenge you, Neil. Uh, if you take up the challenge, we're going to take your breath away so you can't fight us. But it's about us. And that's where some people get confused. You know, yeah. it's purely about us. Well, it's a great way coming, to coming together. You know, slapping slap all your muscles is just a way of warming up and getting yourself ready to go, yeah, yeah. as well as mentally. 
Um, speaking from, from my point of view, though, if I was to face both hackers, I'd be more scared of the, of the original one, especially when you've got the likes of uh, Joe Gnome and, and yourself doing that. It's, it's uh, you know, a bit more... I, say, I, always, I always say to people when they ask about the hacker, because hacker, hacker is New Zealand. It's not just All Blacks. Hacker yeah. is New Zealand. Yeah. And I always say to people and to your listeners, go and Google hacker. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that will come up is our servicemen returning to New Zealand in coffins. Mm. And their, their comrades delivering a haka as they're carried off the, off the planes. Mm. And it is so powerful. Yeah. Um, and that sort of, for me, brings a real meaning what, what haka is. Yeah, well, the, the Japanese school kids obviously did it for the, for the All Blacks when they turned up for the, yeah. the last World Cup. And that was pretty yeah. Hairs yeah. up on the back of my neck, you know, just watching that. So it's yeah. pretty so, I think moving on, just uh, obviously getting uh, to the tail end of everything, we do have some questions and uh, questions from um, your fan base from the north, uh, from the northern hemisphere, which seems quite large. Um, I'll start off with some that are quite low key; they're quite easy ones to uh, to handle. The first Can one. I pass? Can I pass? The first one's from uh, Paul Connolly down in the Midlands. Uh, what is your favourite place to watch the sunrise? Um, wow! Watch the sun rise. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, 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 New Zealand's hard to beat. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're very lucky. We go home every Christmas, and we, we're on, at a beach place. So, you know, I think New Zealand is well, the first place in the world to see the sun. My father was from uh, from Poverty Bay, from Gisborne, and Gisborne is the first place in the world to see the sun every morning. Mm. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to say Wainui Beach in, in Gisborne. Excellent. Well, so, <laughs> so next one comes from uh, Paul Riley up here in Yorkshire. Um, have, what's your idea on sorting out uh, the scrum or is it where it needs to be as it stands? I probably get more frustrated with the scrum than anyone. <laughs> I, watching reset after reset is just... And that's, and that's why, and I, it's, you know, Nigel Owens of the world, they get it right. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you've, if you've got two teams that want a scrummage, um, you know, you've, I've watched games where, you know, I've seen one collapse scrum. Yeah. And, and normally it's when you've got a good referee and two good scrummaging teams. Um, so I get really frustrated. I just, you know, sometimes think, you know, we need to, that we'll never get there, thankfully, that, you know, we almost need to just, Using it as a restart, yeah, like they're doing lead. I've got one question here from um, a friend of mine, Brian Hopkins. He's actually out in Oman at the moment. But um, as soon as I mentioned we were chatting to you today, simply through a flurry of questions. Now you mentioned Nigel Owens. Then um, he has mentioned that he would uh, to sort of change the dynamic of rugby. He may suggest sort of changing the number of subs allowed in rugby. Um, if you could introduce one law change or amend the scoring system to promote more attacking rugby, what would you do? Promote attacking rugby? Yeah. Uh, probably less kicking. Yeah. The talks of the 22 to 22 kick that you can get the ball back. Similar to yeah, yeah. yeah. Like rugby league, yeah. Something like that. Um, I, I just, the, the issue I have is, is the interpretation of the law. Mm. Is, is a major issue with the way referees interpret the law, where it can mm. vary from you know game to game, one half to the next half. Um, so I, if, 
it needs to be more clear-cut. Where everything that went on with the tackling last year at the World Cup, I actually thought that was really good. How they they said right, anything above the nipple line is going to be a red card if it connects them with the head. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and and everyone was up in arms to start with, but then everyone's like, yeah, okay, that's worked. You know, when the days when they said you can't stand on bodies, you know, everyone's like, oh, what about rucking? Rucking is good for the game. No, it's not good for the game. Although some 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 places that's controversial, but. Um, but ultimately, we get we get through there. So, you know, a radical change is not going to take long for players to understand it. Yeah. No, the players and coaches are very clever. They're very clever at working out ways to get around a law. Yeah. No, that's very, uh, a follow-up question to that. I mean, I know, obviously, um, uh, you mentioned earlier, you remember almost every game you played. Um, well, this is uh, from a, our main sponsor, um, Screw Insecurity. Um, it's a guy called Jace Johnson. He mentioned uh, he met a guy called uh, David Bryant. Don't know if the name rings a bell. Now, he was a debutant in 1988 Wales squad that toured New Zealand, and it was called the Tour to Hell. Um, yeah. Now, Jason knows David, and apparently David met you in Heathrow years later, queuing um, up for some coffee. Um, and he still has the scratch marks and the stud marks on his back from the rucking in that match. Um, even after putting cream on, um, was it as bad for you guys on the receiving? Like, was it was it as bad a match for you guys as well, or was it was it just because they were the Welsh? Yeah, so it was nineteen. Did you say nineteen ninety eight? Nineteen eighty eight. Eighty eight. I was going to say, Jesus. Yeah. Now, do you um, remember this match? I mean, he 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 seems to remember you stamping on his head quite a few times as well. But I think no, you would never do that. Never do that. <laughs> Your response was you and a few others, mate. <laughs> yeah, we had we normally had the ball, so yeah. Yeah, yeah it's it probably a... yeah. And we played them in '87 too. I always remember that game when uh, Buck Shelf had hit one of your players. Yeah. And then the, you, the, he was knocked out on the sideline, and he got he got sent off. <laughs> he got red he got red carded <laughs> when he woke up. Wow. Brilliant. You just. I have two more questions. Um, one's from Hayden Quigg from Huddersfield YMCA. Uh, just saying, what was your feeling every time you faced the Wallabies? Obviously, you speak a lot about um, obviously Australia, obviously quite a close uh, rival as well. They, uh, yeah, definitely. They, well, they beat us in 86. Uh, then we, we had that great run. Um, but we had some great battles over the years. They, they were phenomenal. They changed the face of the game in 91, sort of 90 onwards. They, they changed the way the game was played. And you think of some of those players, just you know, the John Eels, the Far Jones, the Kearns of the world, um, Michael Liner, Timmy Horan, mm. Jason Little, Campo, mm. um, Burke. You know, the list, the names just keep going, and just, they had a hugely successful period. With, you know, the Bob Dwyer, uh, the Jones era. Um, so. Yeah, that was good. They were good for rugby too because they, you know, they played a style of rugby that was was different to everyone else at that stage. Yeah, and I think the last one from my uh, list, uh, <laughs> Andy Buckingham from Sandal Rugby Club says, "Who was the longest in the shower uh, during your time? Who who would be the uh, first?" JK, JK, <laughs> John Kerwin sort of changed the face of face of of that. You know, he spent a lot of time in the shower. Uh, he had had gel. He had gel. I think he was the first one to have gel. Uh, he used a hairdryer occasionally, which was just like, you've got to be joking, JK. <laughs> uh, 
and he and I can always remember he had, the first one had had orange dungarees. He wore orange dungarees. We we're like, my God, what is going on here, J.K.? And it was cool. Apparently, it was cool, but you know, we didn't think so. Jesus. Um, I've got uh, well, I've just got. Oh, sorry. I'll no, just jump in with a couple. You go, you go first. And, uh, I've got three or four after you, and that's it. Well, go for it. Just stop. I'll go you because Neil's going to be doing scenario Neil still. <laughs> yeah, we'll still get your little segment together and we'll, uh, we'll let, let go. Um, Josh Graham, a big supporter of the Dodgers Sevens. Um, I mean, I wasn't about in the early 90s, but I'm going to read this question out anyway, so I can't really reference it. Um, he said, why did they let John Kerwin loose with a camcorder in the early 90s? I'm not too fast for referencing. I, oh, I, watched those. I watched those the other night. They're bloody funny, weren't they? What, the good, the bad, and the rugby? <laughs> <I've> <laughs> I've, no, I've never seen them, so... Uh, so there's two. You should. Don, you should. I'll have, a, I'll have a watch. The good, the bad, and the rugby, and yeah. blood, sweat, blood, blood, sweat, and touring. Right, the, yeah. the first name's better than the second one, if I'm honest. The first one's got a better catch to it. <laughs> the first one's better, or the second one's better? I think the first one's better. Good, the bad, and the rugby. I think that's great. Because we didn't... Yeah, it was just random. It wasn't, you know, there's... Well, they're called Spielberg or something. I think they were called the guys who had the camera. It was pretty funny. So, yeah, and then just his last one. Um, obviously, off the back of the World Cup, he asks, um, how do you see the All Blacks regrouping with obviously a new coach, um, a few boys moving on, and then obviously the new talent coming. Obviously, you seem to have a conveyor belt of talent. Um, sure. How do you think they're going to bounce back? Um, I, well, obviously, you know, that's hurt a lot the loss and against England. Um, Ian Foster's got a, a job in his hands, but I'm, I'm confident he's a, he's a very good coach. Uh, and the yeah. other thing I'm really positive about is that Steve Hansen has left this all-black team in a phenomenal shape. He, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we always talk about the jersey being in a better place than what you founded it. Steve Hansen has definitely done that. Uh, he's been such a good coach for the all-blacks over the years. Um, and, and Foster will carry that on. Uh, he's got some good people around him. New guys have come in. Uh, Grant Fox is still there as the head of selectors, which is good. I, I like Foxy being involved. Um, so yeah, and there's there's still got a lot of talent. Uh, yeah. And guys, guys that want to be All Blacks. And as I said, that they will be smarting after what happened at the World Cup. Um, they tried to to win three World Cups back to back. Two World Cups have never been done. They did that. And they they thought they had the firepower to, to to win three in a row, but they didn't obviously expect England to play the way the way they did and just yeah. couldn't get involved. So, you know, players move on. You know, we never thought we'd get over losing Richard McCaw. We've moved on from that. We never thought how we're going to get on without Kieran Reid. You know, there's other players, and we move on pretty quickly. Would you ever like to see Eddie Jones manage the All Blacks? <laughs> no, I think I'm, I'm quite happy with Eddie manage, managing England. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but he's 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 done a great job, and you know, he has a lot of a lot of people you know talk about different things with him. But he, the one thing is, he wants to win, yeah. and and he's doing everything he can to create the best rugby team that he can, and he's yeah. he's done a phenomenal job. You know, you yeah. guys should be very proud of yeah. of what he's done with England. Perfect. I've got a few more questions. Um, one from these are going to get weirder and weirder as they go on. I think you touched on this briefly a minute ago. Was What was the best New Zealand coach that you played under? Um, I, was, it was, I think I said earlier that I was just phenomenally lucky 
um, you know, to have, you know, well, Graham Henry coached me at, at, at for Auckland. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of the All Black coaches, to have, you know, start with Brian Lahore, Grizz Wiley, uh, John Hart for a while, then Laurie, and then to finish with Harty, who's, who's such a good mate of mine, um, was, was a nice way to, to round off my, my time in the All Blacks, which probably, you know, 96 and 97 were probably the, the two best years I had in terms of, of my performance. Uh, which probably has something to do with the coach. Yeah, perfect. Um, I've got a question here from Gethin, part of the Dodger Sevens uh, team. Um, did you ever? That's a big good one. Did you ever want to give Warren Gatlin a go? Uh, because apparently he was he was a sub for pretty much every one of uh, you. Poor old Gat. I feel so sorry for Gat. He never played a Test match, and he and he should have. He was yeah. such a good player. Um, but that was just the the way it was in those days, and he never wanted to give a give somebody a chance, really. Yeah. And, you know, I, that's, that's who I played. I played 60, 63 consecutive games for the All Blacks, test mm-hmm. matches. Yeah. Uh, and Gats, I think, sat on the bench for 57 of those. <laughs> cool. You know, just, which is tough, considering bet, what happens today. Yeah. 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 I bet he, uh, he didn't invite you back. But gave him, gave him an opportunity. I don't think he'd be as good a coach as he is now. No. Without that experience of sitting on the beach. Yeah, so that's a good insight into the game. Yeah. I've got another question here. Um, which loss was harder to take? The loss in the 1995 World Cup or the loss last year in the semi-final against England? <laughs> I was only a commentator last year, so uh, 95, definitely. Yeah, yeah. No, I thought that might be the, 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 the point, but I thought with, with how you guys lost last year, I mean, was it the fact that England played that well or was it the fact that New Zealand played badly or was it a mixture of the two? We, we couldn't get our game going and, and England were just phenomenal. I said to them on TV at half-time, I said, I said if England wasn't playing the All Blacks, mm-hmm. England would be up by about 40 points. Yeah. Yeah. They, they were that good. No one could have lived with them. You know, the All Blacks did bloody well to turn it around to mm-hmm. where it was at half-time. Yeah. Um, but no, England just played one of those games. Everything went well for them. Yeah. Uh, everything we tried, you know, didn't work. Mm. And unfortunately, uh, England were a bit, much better team on the day. Yeah, but we peaked that day and then obviously lost a week later. Then New- South Africa did, did exactly what we did to New Zealand, you know, the following yeah. week. And yeah. we complacent going into it, thinking we'd won the World Cup that's, already. That was the problem. But that's, that's the challenge, Neil, is, is, is the backup. How, you know, yeah, the challenge for England now is to, to do that for every game. Yeah. What, what people don't realise, every time the All Blacks play, the opposition play the game of their life. Mm. So yeah. if, the, if the All Blacks are 2 or 3% off their game, you know, if the opposition are good enough, they're going to lose. Yeah. So you know, that's why every player in the All Blacks has got to make sure they're on the game. And, if you, and, and I'm sure they'll go through that tape and they'll say, right, you weren't there, you went there, you either get better at that or we're not going to pick you. Yeah. But that's that's the, the love about what I love about the All Blacks. Perfect. Um, Ruthless. We, we, we touched on, obviously, you play a lot of tight uh, games for the Lions, Captain Lions as well. Would you like to see a Southern Hemisphere version of the Lions? Let's talk about, I think Gats came out last week or said something that they, he'd like the, the Lions to play the All Blacks before they go to South Africa. Hmm. Okay. Which might that might be quite nice up up here in the northern hemisphere. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, we had we actually had a, a we had a ANZAC team one year. Mm-hmm. 
um, I think we played the Barbarians, where Australia and New Zealand came. We had a joint team. Yeah, yeah I just, yeah, obviously the calendar. I, I just don't think we've got time to, you know, it's phenomenal to have a, a Southern Hemisphere team. You know, Argentina, you know, the Islands. You know, well, you could have, you know. Yeah, South Africa. Yeah, you could have a, a two or three, two or three great teams out of uh, that pool. But most, of, most of them would be New Zealand players, though, wouldn't they? So it would just be New Zealand versus Islands every year or every four years. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, um, right. We're going to just move on to scenario Neil time. Um, so I do apologise in advance. Oh, I got another question, mate. Oh, oh Why do you keep doing that to me? Uh, right. One last thing. Sorry, mate. Um, right. So. Um, uh, da, da, da. Now, this is a, pe- a question posed by a very good friend of mine, Borky. I'm going to quote him. So, uh, this is what he said. He said, uh, obviously, Sean's all right at rugby. Um, is there another sport that you enjoy? Um, if you had to time again, would you choose to play another sport? Uh, I like golf. Mm-hmm. So I play a bit of golf. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm pretty relaxed. Yeah. I um what else do I play? I play a list a lot of squash. Um no, I think I'm pretty happy with rugby. I think I you know, did okay. So no, but John, yeah, on, on to this scenario question. So a reason I'm known as scenario Neil, I come up with these weird scenarios. We've been using one regularly in the COVID lockdown, obviously for obvious reasons. Now, you're locked in a house for two weeks, right? You've got to be locked in there with a player that you've played with at some point in your life. Okay. Yeah. Which player would you least like to get locked down with? Who would make it an absolute living hell living in that flat, not being able to go out at all for two weeks? Uh, uh, I'll say Zinni again. And why is that? Because uh, he's just so competitive. Would be, you know, <laughs> everything. Everything would be a competition. Yeah. You know, foiling the kettle, <laughs> uh, making the yeah. No, I'd be exhausted. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Well, yeah, that's, that's, that's all I've got. I've got no other weird questions today. I'm trying to keep it a bit more professional, guys. Um, but, yeah. Very good of you. That's the first. <laughs> like I say, um, Sean, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank um, you, guys. And, uh, yeah, have we can uh, catch up soon when there's actually some rugby going on. Yeah. yeah, thanks, guys. That'd be very good, and I'll keep an eye on you. Absolute honour speaking to you. Uh, as soon as I told a lot of my mates I was speaking to you, they were trying every way possible to try and get on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, but it's honestly well done, guys. Pleasure. such a gent. Thank you very much for your time. Keep Thanks very much. Okay, right, guys. See you soon. Cheers. 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 Bye. Bye.